to reality. You can go ahead and take a seat. And of course, if this is your first time here, we're so glad um, that you made it uh, to, um, to Reality Church this morning. Uh, I want to encourage you and let you know that it is our desire that as we look at the text and as we look at the stories of Jesus, as we look at him, uh, this is a safe place for you to be able to process your faith. And as I looked at this text this past week, I was reminded of um, a story that I heard several years ago about one of the ancient, you know, ancient wonders of the world. I'm talking about the Pharos of Alexandria, the lighthouse of Alexandria, El Farito, the OG. It was one of the ancient wonders of the world. And at the time of its construction, it was the tallest building in the land. And lighthouses centuries after it have modeled its architectural design. The promise, you know, the, the design was commissioned by the Egyptian pharaoh Ptolemy I. And it was entrusted to the greatest architect of its time, a man by the name of Sosplas. Now, um, as he designed and built this magnificent edifice that took several years, um, Ptolemy I, the pharaoh, actually ends up passing away. And then Ptolemy II became the new ruler of Egypt. Now, because, of course, Sostratus uh, wanted to leave his name on the masterpiece that he had created, he ends up going to Pharaoh, the new pharaoh, Ptolemy II. And he comes before the court and he asks him if he could write his name on the base of this architectural masterpiece. What do you think Ptolemy II, the new pharaoh, said? No, you're not doing that. In fact, what I want you to do is I want you to write my name in the masterpiece. But Sostratus, being a clever builder, under the cover of night, he etches his name, he chisels it onto the base of this lighthouse. And then he covers his name with plaster. And on top of the plaster, he writes Ptolemy II's name. And what happens is, of course, over time, both men die and weather comes and different things start happening. And the plastic and the plaster begins to wear off. And Ptolemy II's name disappears, revealing the name of its true creator. One of the wonders of God for you and for me is that he gives us, wherever you are today, he gives you an opportunity to be a part of what he's doing in mission all over the world. Here in Miami and metaphorically speaking, he gives you an opportunity to write your name on the household of God for a temporary period of time. He can use you to do incredible uh, things. That's the way that God works. He chooses to use people to accomplish his purposes. But what happens is at the end of the day, when it is all said and done, our names will fade away. And the name that is above every name will be displayed. The name of that one who came down from heaven to rescue you 
enemy will appear showing the true master and the builder of the household of faith. And here's, here's what's really cool. He's been building his church all over the world. And he wants to invite you to be a part of that mission. And what's cool about being a part of that mission, it's not just that, like, we have an opportunity to be a part of something larger than ourselves. That's awesome. That's really cool. That's a benefit of, of being a part, of becoming a Christian. Is that you join this global family, literally the most diverse group of people on earth. Even though that happens, it's not only that we also get to use our gifts for the benefit of other people. Because that's what happens when you come into a relationship with God. He calls you and he redeems your gifts and your talents and your abilities so that you can bless other people. Now listen, all of that is really cool. But as you read the pages of scripture, what you discover is this. That mission is ignited by a heart of compassion and a dependence on God. Mission is ignited by a heart of compassion and dependence on God. If you don't remember anything else today, I want you to remember this mission is ignited by a heart of compassion and a dependence on God. It's about his heart, right, becoming our heart. God does something inside of our hearts when you come to know him. And all of a sudden this brings into us growing in him and his mission. And in this text, what we're going to gain is a, at least a glimpse on how to develop that kind of heart. Now listen, how many of you want a heart of compassion? How many of you want what Jesus has? Well, listen, I, I want to zoom out. from. How do we get a heart of compassion? Let me zoom out real quick and look at this text from a different vantage point. How do we cultivate a heart of compassion? The most important thing that you can do is to behold Jesus. To, to behold him. Not just to check him out. Not just to peruse. Not just to scan. But literally to behold him. I remember when we adopted our oldest, Maya. We took her for this photography session with us. And I remember we were doing all these things. And, you know, when, ba when, when you take a baby to a um, photography session, like, you're trying to put them in all these really weird poses. If you've ever seen the pictures, like, they're like this because they don't really have the strength to do that. And so you're doing all kinds of things to do. And I remember at one point, you know, you're kind of distracted. And, and it, it, it seems beautiful in the picture, but it's really, like, it's stressful, you know. Uh, but at one point, I remember Christina, the photographer, very directly saying to me, I want you to hold her in your hand and I want you to look at her beautiful. And I remember holding Maya and beholding her. And when I beheld her, something happened in my heart and I began to tear up. I began to realize the miracle that I was holding That's what it means to, to behold, to fix your attention on Jesus. That is what we are doing. We've been walking through this gospel of Matthew chapter 8 and chapter 9. And we have been given a vision of Jesus. We've learned about his authority. 
learned about his power. We've learned about his majesty. We've learned about his humility, about his strength, about his efficacy. We've realized is that there is no other person that has ever been or will ever be like Jesus. Over 2,000 years have come and gone, and he remains the most influential person in history, this carpenter from Nazareth with no political clout, <laughs> turned the world upside down. Even though he didn't write a song, at least that we know of, more songs have been written about him than any other. More books have been written about Jesus than anyone else in history. And yet people still call him the king. And it's because of his great love and mercy backed up by the power of his resurrection. So I want you to think about what we're doing right now, even on a Sunday morning. One of the things we're doing is we're beholding Jesus. We are looking at him theologically and biblically speaking. Um, this is how, this is one of the ways that we change. That if you want to experience transformation in your life, I want you to think about what Paul, the Apostle Paul, writes in the New Testament. This is what he says in 2 Corinthians 3.18. We all who with unveiled faces contemplate, think about that. Con it's like beholding the Lord's glory. We are being transformed into his image with ever increasing glory which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. What does that mean? It means that there is a transformative power to vision. Vision has a transformative power. When we behold Jesus, something happens to us, to our hearts. We begin to desire the things that he desires. And how do you see God's glory? How do you see it? You see it in creation, don't you? When all of a sudden you go out, maybe you go up to a mountain or to nature, you behold the Miami sky, a sunset in Miami over the water. You are beholding the glory of God. You can also behold God's glory by looking at history and thinking about the wonderful works that he's done over time. And you're like, wow, God, this is incredible. You can behold his glory by looking at each other, brothers and sisters, right? You're like, wow. Incredible, incredible people, most of them anyways, right? But the supreme place of beholding God's glory, it says in the scriptures, it's beholding Jesus. The writer of Hebrews says that he is the radiance of the glory of God. Beholding him, beholding what he did, beholding the gospel, beholding Christ in all his glory. Glory is magnetic to us. Glory captures our hearts. We are drawn to what we perceive to be glorious. That's why we must behold Jesus. And what happens is when we behold Jesus, his greatness and his power, we cannot help but to move, to go on mission. That's what happens in the scriptures when, you know, when, when the first time Moses in Exodus 3 meets God face to face, what happens? You know what God says? Go to Pharaoh. He sends them out on mission. Peter in Luke 5, I love this story. Um, you know, Jesus comes up to this boat and he tells him, hey, you know, the, the disciples come to him and say, hey, we didn't get anything on the boat tonight, man. And Jesus tells him, hey, you know what, why don't you go a little further out and put your nets on the other side of the boat and then you'll catch some fish. 
And you can tell in that moment, the fishermen are like, um, we know what we're doing, but okay, we'll do it. They throw the net on the other side. And what do they do? They catch so many fish that the boat is about to break. And what happens afterwards is Peter is confronted by the holiness of God and he beholds Jesus and his glory. He falls on his feet and he says, oh, depart from me. I'm a sinful man. And what does Jesus say? I'm going to make you all fishers of men. You're going to go on mission. Every time someone sees God for who he really is, they lose their consuming mentality. And they begin to take risks. When you behold Jesus, it's like, man, I, I stop looking at myself and all of the things that I want. And I'm like, oh, I have to go. I have to go on mission. I have to move. Something happens to um, our hearts, which is why, listen, which is why the, sometimes the, the church, coming to a church building and not beholding Jesus and not turning our hearts towards him can be so dangerous. The church can be one of the most dangerous places to hide from God because we could do all of these religious things without really beholding and being with Jesus. How, how is your heart today? Where are you this morning? Are you cold? Are you numb? Those questions should lead us to a place of reflection. Because today we can, we can turn from that and once again accept the invitation to behold. Behold Jesus. Cultivating a heart for mission begins with beholding him. But it also develops. It also develops when we choose to behold what he beholds. When we choose to see the need. Look at what the text says. Jesus continued going Around to all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the good news of the kingdom, and healing every disease and every sickness. When he saw, when he saw the crowds, he felt compassion for them because they were distressed and dejected, like a sheep without a shepherd. I want you to place yourself in that moment. Um, in chapter 9, Matthew has documented how Jesus has healed the paralytic. He's helped uh, two blind men to see. He has raised to life the daughter of a Roman official, all while he is investing uh, in the life of the apostles. He's making disciples. He's going from town to town. He's all over Galilee. He's meeting with people. He's considering the sacrifice that he has to make. I mean, he is bearing a strong weight and a strong mission. And in the midst of all of that, we get the summary of what his ministry is like. It says he went to every town. He proclaimed the gospel, and then he displayed it. He proclaimed it, and he displayed it. That's why our mission as a church, you know what it is? It's to lead people to discover and display the reality of Jesus. We want to proclaim but then we also want to demonstrate his love. That's what we see in the life of Jesus. And he says here, when he saw the crowds, he felt compassion for them. He felt compassion for them. You can imagine Jesus standing on a hill watching the crowds, looking at the people who were broken and in pain, oppressed by a particular political regime, burdened by the religious leaders of the day, confusion from what was right and what was wrong. And Jesus saw them. He saw them. I don't want you to miss that. And he had compassion for them. 
that there is a connection in you and in me between sight and compassion. What you choose to see and then how you choose to act. That word compassion, it's a very cool word in uh, Greek. It's the Greek word splagma. Splagma. It's onomatopoeia, right? If you know your grammar. Our girls love saying that, onomatopoeia. Splagma, it's like the word splash. It sounds like what it means. It refers to this emotion that arises from like our gut, our gut. The compassion that Jesus feels is second nature to him. It's so deep that it's almost like a reflex. It's like this is just who he is. Compassion is there. Isn't that incredible? That's the kind of compassion he wants you and I to have. It's not something that we just like, like Jesus didn't just like, I'm going to turn on compassion right now and I'm going to turn it off. Okay. I saw, I saw this video, right, online with Sarah McLachlan. She was saying it. No. And, and I'm going to turn on compassion and then I'm going to turn it off. That's not how it works. All right. I, I want you to imagine that's how sometimes we can live as Christians. That can happen in my own life. Has it ever happened to you <laughs> that you were really tired? And you had a really difficult week. And you were looking forward to spending a day relaxing by the pool. Enjoying a restful Sabbath. And you've endured the week. Maybe you're a first responder. You're in the service industry. And you've had to respond to the unreasonable requests of people all week long. But now it's finally time for some self-care. You have to replenish yourself. And so here's what you do. You, you um, call a friend uh, from a city group here at Reality. And then you say, you know what, why don't, we, uh, why don't we just spend a day at the pool and just bask on the glory of the winter sun in my cave. What you didn't realize is that it was Art Basel weekend in Miami. And when you booked that special pool day at a local hotel, you weren't aware that they had also booked a special DJ and had an Art Basel party for college students, the UM and FIU. So when that college student who's experiencing some kind of need comes to you by the pool and you're ready to tell them off, all of a sudden in that moment your friend says, how can I help you? And you turn and you're like, really? What's my point? Don't hear me saying that I don't believe in the Sabbath and that I don't believe in rest. My point is this, compassion is not just something that comes from Christians, part of our identity is to serve. Christians are servants. We love to serve. We don't live our lives for vacations because we are just oh, exhausted from serving. It's the opposite. I want, you to, I want you to see the difference between this. I heard it like this one time. We work and we serve from rest, not to rest. Does that make sense? We serve from rest, not to rest. I, I love what this New Testament scholar writes. He puts it like this. Compassion in ministry, it's not so much the characteristic of a certain personality as the characteristic of the person with a certain set of priorities. If we forget that our task is to minister to people, compassion will no longer be the characteristic of our life, but a quality that we try to turn on and turn off depending on whether or not we think we should be 
on you. This is the heart of compassion that Jesus wants you to develop. It's an instinct that comes from the gut. So how do we cultivate a heart of compassion? Well, you already heard me say it. We have to choose to see. We have to choose to see, right? We behold Jesus, and then we behold what he beholds. We choose to see him, and then we choose to see the need around us. Part of the reason why some of us may not be very compassionate people is because we kind of close our eyes and our minds from the needs of the world around us. Has that happened to you? Like there is so much going on around the world that you're like, dude, I don't even know what to think about anymore. I just got to focus on my life. That's happened to me. Happens to me all the time. But like we sometimes ignore the atrocities that are happening around the world. It can sometimes seem, for instance, when I think about like the war in Ukraine, we prayed about that a couple of months ago. And I'm like, man, do we just... Why, why is it that we choose to turn our sights away from the issues of the world? Well, there's a psychologist by the name of Paul Slovich. It's really interesting. He uh, studied this phenomenon, and he says that it's due to something called psychic numbing. Something happens in our mind. What he's observed is that human beings have a tendency to become emotionally numb. Have you felt that? You're emotionally numb, and, and the, what they begin to believe it's this phrase that there's nothing we can do about this. There's nothing we can do about this. Have you ever felt that way? There's nothing we can do about this. It's a belief that we are powerless to make a difference in the face of the large problems that we face. But of course, when you read the Bible, you realize that's a lie. When you think about history, when you think about some of the most astonishing facts about Christianity, you see that there's been countless men and women who have dared to take a step of faith and to believe that Jesus could use them to make a difference in the world. God can do the same with you and with me. But the enemy wants us walking around distracted and discouraged and sidelined so that he can have his way. But God not only wants to use us, he's called us to it. But we have to choose to see. In fact, I want you to see something. I want to remind you, why, why would you plant a church in Miami, Carlos? Why would you do that? Well, I, I want you to see some of the statistics, right, of, of some of the landscape that's going on in the United States right now. I want you to think about this. Look, from the great opportunity, here's what we know. One million people right now will leave the church this year. That's a fact. The decline of the church, especially when it comes to Gen Z, is the biggest drop off generationally in the last 60 years. Barna, another research institution, says that 67% of kids will lose their faith in college. So when some people ask us, why did you start a church by the University of Miami? <laughs> it's because we have a passion, a love for college kids that are at UM, to love them. Then all of a sudden in Barna, it says again, 80% of people who attend evangelical churches don't have a biblical worldview. Why do we care about theology? Why do we care about preaching? Why do we care about developing convictions in church? It's because, man, what we've discovered is that Christians actually are more shaped by the culture than by the Bible. There is a great need. Are you seeing it? Because guess what? God wants, you, God wants to use you to meet that need. And I'm not talking about just developing these grand schemes in life and doing all these incredible things. It starts at home. 
It starts with you. It starts with choosing to see the need. God moves very, in very powerful ways in history, especially in periods of transition. And we've been in a period of transition here in the West for a couple of years. There's been political turmoil, racial strife, uh, COVID has happened, all of these different things. There's economic stress. In the midst of that, the church steps in. We have an incredible opportunity to live out the gospel in the city of Miami. Are you with me? Man, listen, I believe God can do the same thing with you and with me. He uses ordinary people to do extraordinary things through the power of the spirit. We have to choose to see, to see the need in our city, in our homes, in our families. This is, this is something that God has called us to. He saw the crowds, that they were harassed and helpless. The time to see is now. And here's the beauty, what I love about Jesus is that he saw you. He saw me in our sin. And he didn't choose to just close his eyes and do his thing. He actually entered the story. The son of God came down from heaven. He saw that we were struggling. He sees you right now. If you don't follow him, he gives you the opportunity to follow him. He sees your sin. He sees that you don't want to have anything to do with him, that you've rejected him, but he keeps coming after you with his unconditional, unfailing love, and he proves it to you. He's so committed to you that he went to die on a cross for your sin. He says, I'm, gonna, I'm actually going to become the sacrifice for you, for your sins, and then I'm going to display my glory by rising again on the so that you will know that there is one God. And when you trust in him, you can have everlasting life. God wants that for us. We have to, of course, choose to see. That's how we cultivate a heart of compassion. We behold Jesus. We see the things, the needs. We choose to see him. We choose to not close our eyes. We choose to see. But then finally, and this is so key. It's unbelievable. It's part of this picture. We have to learn to pray. We have to learn been a Christian for some time now, man. I'm learning to pray. I'm learning to pray. Look at what he says in verse 37. He said to the disciples, the harvest is abundant, but the workers are few. There's a great opportunity, guys, but there's few laborers. Therefore, recruit people right now. That's important, but you know what he says? The first step the first response, pray to the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into the harvest. What we need is power. We need his power. It's not the power of really skilled people, though that's really cool. It's not just the power to perform great deeds. What we need is the power of God in order to be able to meet the needs of others. We can, listen, we're going to be intentional as a church in developing systems, right, and recruiting leaders, and all of that is really important. But it is God who raises leaders up and gives them what they need in order to meet the needs of his mission. We have to learn to pray. This text reminds me of a man by the name of Charles Finney. I don't know if you've heard him. He was a, an evangelist. And even though I actually have some, you know, I, I, I don't align with him in some theological issues, the truth is God used him in a mighty way to bring a lot of people to himself. He was a figure in what historians call the second great awakening. 
what happens is an awakening is when the Lord chooses to act in a, in a very particular way, in a particular place and time in history, to do a mighty work of the Spirit in people's lives, where things begin to change not only in people's lives, but even in the city. In 1830, uh, Finney goes to the town of Rochester, New York. The town, during the time that he's there, grows by about two-thirds, like, like two-thirds. Two-thirds of the crime rate comes down. He preaches 98 sermons in the period of six months. And thousands of people literally come to know Jesus Christ. Like they preach the gospel to every person in the city. Unbelievable. It changed intimacy that Nash had with the Lord that he would literally come to Finney after two or three weeks of fasting and praying. And he would say, God has come among you. And Finney said he was never his tombstone, it reads like this. Look at this. Daniel Nash, laborer with God, mighty in prayer. I believe that God is looking for men and women like Daniel Nash in our cultural moment that are going to choose to fight these battles on their knees. People who no one will see. People who won't care about having this reputation and their name, but they're going to be mighty men and women of prayer. Of course, faith without works is dead. We must act. We must move. But family, we need divine power in order to accomplish this mission. And that only happens through prayer. It's an invitation to intimacy isn't that something that you want? I want that. God, help us to grow as a people of prayer. You want to develop a heart for compassion? Listen to me. We see it in the scripture. We have to behold Jesus today. Are you thinking about him? Are you beholding him? Listen, the enemy wants to distract you. He wants you to behold other things. And we are attracted to what is glorious to us. I want to challenge you today. Man, what are some of the steps, what one step you can take to just behold Jesus on a daily basis? It could be silence. Some of you have been meeting with Jesus for a very long time. Others of you, man, you're like, bro, I don't even know how to do that. Maybe today you can take a next step. And you can spend five minutes with Jesus this week on a daily basis to meet with him, to pray with him. Wherever you are, man, he's inviting you into that. Maybe, uh, you know, for, for others of you, you just kind of like... Your heart has been cold towards seeing the needs in this world. And what today you're doing is you're opening up your heart again. And you're asking God, God, would you guide me? I can't do, I can't, I can't fix all the problems in the world. But God, I know you're calling me to be an active follower of Jesus. Would you show me where I could step in and stand in the gap? And then, of course, finally, man, God, would you teach us to pray? Teach us to pray. I want to encourage you with this. I'm, I'm, I'm going to pray for in just a moment. And when you leave today, we want to put this into practice, especially now as we begin the Christmas season. We've, we've made these little, um, um, it's like a little I'm praying for card where you can choose to pray about different things. I want to encourage you as you look at this card. Uh, maybe this is just a reminder for you this week that you could put somewhere in your house 
and you can write the names down of, let's say, of someone in your family. You can write down the name of somebody who you know at work that you want to pray for. Maybe somebody that you want to share the gospel with. You can pray for um, Miami. You can pray for the city. You can pray, you know, for somebody um, around the world. And maybe you could use this just to cultivate something in you. This remind you know what this reminds you? You know why we did this? It reminds you to seek. You can see it. Hey, I want to pray for this person. On your way out, I want to encourage you to pick this up and I'll welcome someone in. Just as a little resource, a little tool for you and me to be able to develop. Now let's go to the Lord in prayer and reflect on this text. Father, I thank you, God, because you called us into everlasting life with you, God. I thank you that you chose to show us compassion. I thank you for the unfailing love that we can experience because of the gospel. I pray uh, for us as a church today, Lord, that we would be a people that not only hold firmly to our convictions, but that we would be known by our compassionateness. That we would be known by our compassion and our hope. Father, I pray today you would turn our hearts towards you. Help us to see your beauty, your majesty, the things that you've done in history, the gospel, the cross. You're incredible, Lord. And we praise you for that. Please, Lord, help us to be a people of prayer. Father, I pray that you would rise up and that you would raise up leaders in this church, God, laborers, workers for the harvest, Lord. I pray, God, that you would give us a passion for Miami, Lord. Give us a heart for the city, Lord, that when we look at her, we wouldn't just see um, uh, the, the issues and the needs and the traffic and all these different difficulties as, as, as just things that annoy us, Lord Father, but, but opportunities for us to be able to step in and be a light in that storm. God, would you please do that in us, Lord? And I pray, of course, God, that you would develop in us a hunger for you. Help us to be hungry for you, to pray, to learn to pray for you. In fact, right now, why don't we practice that just as Sarah is playing on the guitar. Why don't you take an opportunity this morning? And why don't you take a step right now? Just take two minutes to pray for somebody in your life. Maybe for you and Maybe you're not a follower of Jesus or you're just like, dude, I'm still considering the claims of Jesus. Why don't you just take a risk today and ask God, God, would you, would you reveal yourself to me today? Would you please do that? I want to know you. I want to know what this guy's talking about. 